This podcast is for anyone that works with clients at an ad or marketing agency, also known as a sued traditionally. This is your chance to hear from client service veterans and other industry professionals on everything advertising and account management related. My hope is every episode will all get a little better at what we do every day. What is up, listeners? This is Brooklyn Cravens, your host, and I'm sure you had no idea, but this is certainly another episode of Suits Cast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm super pumped for the topics we've got today. In our last episode, we were in Tampa in the Sunshine State of Florida, and for today's episode, we're going to be heading a little east to the area called Orlando. Got some awesome topics talking about today. Influencer marketing has been a major topic in the advertising space for the past year or so. How involved you should or should not be with your accounts directly when you've got a team right under you uh, in managing things, and even diving into PR a little bit are going to be some of the things we're covering today, but our guest is named Megan Paquin. She's the account group director over at Anbar, again, an agency in Orlando. She's got over 10 years of experience in the advertising space uh, with a a focus on the hospitality industry, MGM Resorts, Ritz-Carlton Hotels, Hyatt Regency Hotels, just to name a few of the big brands. And she's been both client side and agency side with a focus on the account-facing roles in the agency space. So happy to have you on the show today, Megan. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing swell. I think we were just talking before on here. We, we've both been pretty swamped as the new year has come in, which uh, is hopefully hopefully a good thing, but hopefully will at some point end, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you want it to continue forever, but maybe not forever, forever. <laughs> Absolutely. And thanks again for being on the show. Um, I know that that as you and I were initially when we met a couple months ago, uh, you know, one of the things that fascinated me is that your background is out of PR and now you are in account management and specifically in your account director role. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like going from PR to all the way now to managing a team as an account director? It's been wild, but it's been really great. And I think that I've really grown as a professional as a result. So like you said, I started my career in public relations and primarily um, media relations, working for some some cool hospitality companies all across the United States and the world. And, and that was such a great experience. And you learn you know, how to work quickly, how to work diligently, how to be detail-oriented, but still um, strategic because you want all the media outreach that you do to actually have some kind of an impact. We don't want to just spray and pray. So I think it set me up really well, um, actually to get into an account management role. And we're really unique at Ambar in that public relations and account service roll into the same department. So we're kind of hybrid professionals in a way we do a lot of the traditional public relations roles like media relations or crisis communication or social influence. But because our role requires us to be so integrated with um, the people that we work with and the highest levels of the client's organizations, it just made sense for us to also take on the account management role. And so it's been exciting for myself and my team to learn more about you know what we call the advertising side and I think we apply a lot of the same principles um, that we would on the PR side into the work that we do now. And I'm a huge fan of taking down silos whenever possible and integrating people and collaborating on everything as much as possible. Is that same from a process standpoint? Is that same philosophy with kind of blending account management and PR the same across other departments at Anbar? Or is it kind of unique to just that content side? 
No, it's very, we're really open and collaborative and we continue to become more and more collaborative. Um, You know, specifically with our creative team, we spend a lot of time working with them directly more than just, you know, putting in the typical job and change orders and approval forms. We're actually sitting with them and spending hours brainstorming on projects and in lots of different ways. So whereas, you know, I used to do a PR strategy and write it completely by myself and then maybe toss a couple jobs over the transom and see, you know, can creative help me create some graphics or a video, now we're starting at the very beginning and presenting more holistic ideas to clients. And that's really helping us grow the work on the advertising side too, because they're seeing, you know, maybe a traditionally PR client who thought all you could do is pitch some bloggers and maybe make it into the the local newspaper. Now they're seeing the opportunities that exist with um, paid media or digital marketing. And so that allows us to bring in all the other teams and sort of grow the business from that perspective. Which is very important. And, um, you know, I think I think blending services, being collaborative, it, it just, like you said, it creates more opportunities to come to your clients with with new projects, new business, you know, ideas that can really expand the account. And I think that that is very important. Now, from, I guess, an oversight perspective, when it comes to the actual people on your team, and maybe, maybe it's a little different here as well, because everything is so collaborative. How many folks do you directly oversee at Anbar? So there's four people who are on my part of the account service team. And they're the, you know, hybrid type specialists. So we have a senior account executive who is managing accounts, but she's also our national media relations manager. Then we've got um, somebody who focuses a little bit more on social media, and she's managing all of our organic social accounts. And then we have a hybrid AE who sits kind of in the middle and supports on all things. That's cool. That's very cool. And uh, a topic that I have touched on uh, the show with many guests is the continual elusivity or or not. I totally pronounced that wrong, but essentially (laughs) the elusiveness of time when it comes to time management. Uh, Now, in terms of managing folks internally, getting creative stuff off the ground from the beginning and also actually handling your clients, what percentage of your time would you say is spent between actually managing the team under you and dealing with clients? We're definitely working managers. I mean, that's the easiest way to explain it. And I I like it that way. I like to have my hands in what the clients actually need and expect because I think it makes me a better manager. I can understand and empathize what the rest of my team is working through. Um, So I guess if I had to put a number on it for my particular role, I'd say I probably spend you know, 75% of my time in the day-to-day of managing clients and overall strategy for all the accounts and then maybe 25% of my time managing just the team themselves. But I'm also really lucky I have an amazing team. Yeah, that's good. And and but there also is, I guess, somewhere within overseeing the strategy and everything, you're actually, are you the one that's actually communicating with clients or is that the, the folks under you doing that? In some cases, there are, um, you know, I'd say we have about 15 clients that report that direct into my team. And probably three of those are ones that I'm handling the day-to-day communication and leading. And then the others, I'm more of a support. That's a nice a nice mix. And I think, like you said, especially this is probably a bigger temptation for people that are at bigger agencies. But I think when you are so busy on the um, you know client 
communication side or you're so busy on the kind of project management side internally, it's it's kind of easy to, to fall too far to one side and maybe lose that ability to do everything. So it's awesome. It sounds like you've got a great handle on that. Now, when it comes to delegating those account tasks and, you know, kind of maybe giving the reins of, I think you said 15, most of the, the communication reins over to a team under you sure. for the communication how do you delegate all of the different things to go on for those accounts that you don't necessarily have the face on without losing the ownership of a given client? I think that's a great question. And I think that's something that a lot of people at the senior level struggle with, especially if you're involved in new business, because that's really you know a senior level role to be able to define a scope of work and sell it through to a new client with the rest of the team. And so a lot of times you build a relationship with a client through that process and it can make the turnover a little bit difficult to introduce them to a new team member who now they have to build a relationship with. So I'm very cognizant of trying to get my team involved from the very beginning, whether it's at least being a part of an introductory call or having a role in a presentation when appropriate. Um, I find that that's really helpful. And then also assigning team members work based on what skills they bring to the table and what their personality is like. You know, you can tell really quickly, I think, who's going to jive with who. And so I want to make sure that whoever I assign to an account, you know, their personality fits with that client's personality and that their skill set matches as close as we can get um, to what that client actually needs. And to that point, we also on our team have a rule that everybody knows enough about a client so that if something were to happen to somebody, if there was a crisis to come up or someone were to get sick or be out for whatever reason, that anyone else in the office can pick up and carry the torch with seamlessly. So that helps to making sure that we're all on the same page. We know what the clients need and then we can help each other where appropriate. That's good. And I think maybe this is getting into a little technical territory than usual, but it's always fascinates me when talking to other agency folks about some of the internal processes to kind of how they serve clients better. And you mentioned that if something were to happen on an account and somebody else needed to be looped in, they would instantly be able to know what's going on with the client. What do they need to know about the client? All, all of that is taken care of already. Do you guys yeah. typically do that through the use of something like a project management software? Do you have kind of like a an all hands on deck meeting on a regular basis? What, how do you guys stay accountable with each other in that regard? So when we onboard clients, one of the first things we do is sort of create like a fact sheet for the client. And it gives you an overview of, you know, what is their business? What are their goals? What's most important to them? Why are they even here? And that's the Bible for us. So everyone is expected, if you're an account leader, to create that fact sheet, introduce it to the rest of the team. And then when we do our, you know, biweekly team, all hands on deck meetings, like you said, that's when we go through just this is the top level stuff that's going on this week. And everybody's expected to report in on what they're doing. And you know, what's important for the week or the next couple weeks. And that's kind of how we keep things on track. And then of course, you know, you have the things like conference reports and things that are getting circulated around. Right, right. My motto is if someone took the time to write it, you should read it. So (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, it would be it'd be nice if everybody actually read what you sent them, you know. Right. I mean, if we're all gonna agree every time we try to come up with like a new form or something that needs to, you know, be a part of the ever evolving agency process, I always ask, if I'm gonna take the time to fill this out, does everyone here commit that they will read it? (laughs) 
Yeah, no, that's that's good. I think taking that extra step and be like, all right, guys, we're going to read this right. That's probably probably something I think a lot of agencies can do because it, it is true. You get so busy and you you guys commit on, you know, all right, we're going to do this or all right, these are going to be the deliverables. And then a week later, you're like, hey, where's this? And it's like, what are you talking about? And it's like, oh, geez, like not again. Yeah. Like, come on, everybody be adults. I can't take right. for, for all. <laughs> Right, exactly. So, I mean, I think I think having a little bit of ADD is is normal in this industry, but it's just it's funny how it shakes out. So, yeah. but no, that's that, that's good. And I think what what's interesting too, you and I have talked a little bit before about how, in terms of the collaboration, the kind of I guess the 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 non silo policy, keeping everybody involved, it even bleeds into new business, and that's something that our agency has done too. Can you talk a little bit about how you at Anbar, you guys really try to involve a lot of people when it comes to something like a new business pitch or onboarding a client? Oh, yeah. I mean, in my opinion, the client is everybody's client. So no matter if, you know, you're an account service person, or you're on, you know, one account service team from another, they're all our clients. And without them, you know, we don't have revenue. So I think it's important that everybody is involved from the very beginning. And we take a really holistic approach to new business, because quite frankly, it's one of our differentiators that we offer so many services under one roof. So even if a client hasn't specifically asked for all the services we offer when it's appropriate, we're going to go in as a team and show them how things can go cohesively and why that makes us a stronger choice over, you know, maybe a more specialist firm. So that's something that we definitely take seriously. And we we work really closely together during new business pitches, but following the same process we would for any other client, which I think is also very important because you'll find a lot of agencies say, you know, they're always at their best when they're in a new business pitch. And to me, that's a little bit sad (laughs) because you don't want that (laughs) to be the peak of your relationship with somebody. So um, for us, we found that when we integrated new business more into the day-to-day process of how we do business, we performed better in the pitches. We performed better as the agency and we keep the clients longer. That's good. And that's a, I haven't heard that before that analogy, but I guess it's, it's true with human beings and relationships, you know, like you're, you're on your best behavior when you're dating someone. And then when you get married, it's like, okay, then the, the negativity start to show. But I guess when it comes to business and they're actively paying you, it shouldn't be like that. I, I 100% agree with that. Well, probably not in relationships either, but I mean, there is reality. <laughs> That's true. I mean, hey, we're all human. So relationships abound. That's like, I guess relationship management is what we do. So that is what it is. But no, it's it's true. And I think it is good. And I think being able to come together as a team from the beginning and going kind of above and beyond what a new business opportunity asks for. It's kind of that that carrot on the stick mentality where it's like, well, here's here's the problem you came to us about. But here's all the solutions that we can offer you here. So as someone who's also at a full service place, I think that's a great approach. It really helps too, because you know, let's say you have a client come in, they've got a huge branding project, and maybe I pitch them a couple different PR ideas, they're not really ready for it. But when the time comes, they know who you are, they have some, you know, level of introduction to your experience, you're not just coming off, you know, fresh off the street. And I think that makes it a stronger selling opportunity. There's almost an art of planting the seed that is almost more important than the actual pitching of the full idea. And I, I think it's totally true, whether a client ends up thinking it's their own idea months later, or (laughs) whether they just come to embrace it. I think planting the seed early on is a very good tactic. Definitely. So switching gears a little bit, I I do want to talk about PR with you because that, that is something that is, is a little bit light in terms of my background. And I do think it's such an important thing and it's, it's 
really changed a lot. And yes. again, where we first met was at our uh, our Daytona Beach Ad Fed chapter luncheon where you spoke and, and a, you've done a great job with that. Uh, that was a, a fantastic Thank learning you. opportunity on the evolution of PR. Um, how you talked about pitching a little bit before and how some of those things have helped you be a better account manager. What are some of those specific PR methods that you feel like has really equipped you for either handling accounts or just kind of being equipped for the agency world in general? I mean, PR is 100% a relationship business. You know, I'm in the business of convincing very busy editors and writers who don't really care about anything I have to say and trying to sell them on, you know, the ideas that my clients have and convince them that it's worth them spending their time, you know, which is money to promote my clients um, in their publications for free. So, you know, it's all about building relationships with people and it's all about influence. And I think that that's really important to an account manager. You know, obviously you want to have a great rapport with your clients um, and with your teams, but you also want to be able to influence and point them in the right direction. I mean, nothing you know, stinks more than when you try to pitch them on a new campaign idea and they, you know, just decide, well, actually I want to do this, this, and this, and you become an order taker. I think, you know, the most inefficient way that we can do our jobs. And quite frankly, it's not even very fun. So being able to be skilled in the art of influencing someone to really sell them on an idea and get them to buy in and feel passionate about it. That's a skill that I feel like I've gotten from PR. And I think you get it from we pitch hundreds of journalists every month and we um, are used to rejection. I've had, just a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a writer write to me and he goes, mm, try again. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's blunt. Taking the time to tell you that. Yeah. And I was thankful for it. And when I saw it, I was like, you're right. This isn't a strong angle. Let me rethink what I need to you know, do to get this to come through to you. So I spent a couple more minutes, you know, researching what I needed, sent him a stronger pitch, and my client got in. So kind of getting used to being beaten up a little bit helps. <laughs> well, and that unfortunately, the uh, the verbal, not actual beat ups uh, do, do happen a lot in the account management role. So yeah, and you know, I don't think clients or, you know, your team members who might beat you up every once in a while. It's not because they feel negatively about you. It's because they're challenging you and they really want you to believe in what you're pitching. And if it comes through that you don't or that, you know, maybe you've left some holes in the in the argument, good for them to point it out and let's work through it together. And that's the relationship part of it. <laughs> Absolutely. When I was a kid, I remember watching those movies where there's some type of journalist or editor. And I remember as a kid thinking, you know, oh, man, they're so blunt. They're so rude. They're so just straightforward about how good or bad a piece is. Like, what's their problem? But now, you know, being in the agency space, which, you know, is, of course, an offshoot of journalism, seeing that now it's like, oh, they're not being rude. They just they want the work to be good and they're short on time. And it's that's I think that really flows to kind of all aspects of the communications industry. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think if you want to get some like really straightforward feedback quickly on something, ask an editor. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when we talk about editors and PR, and that was definitely one of the things that you covered in your talk at the AAF luncheon was how 
in terms of PR, the era of just pitching out press releases and hoping for the best is really changing as being able to capture digital moments is so uh, it's instantaneous. And just coming up with a press release a couple of days after the fact is it's not it's in many ways, it's not really how it works anymore. You know, as an example, you know, we had for one of our CPG clients, a pretty major product launch earlier this week. And it's honestly, we, we see those stories like that, where we do a big launch on social media, where that's when it seems like editors and journalists are more interested in running a story rather than necessarily some of the, the old school print methods from before. A hundred percent. I mean, I feel like we write press releases now as a formality more than anything, or perhaps um, to give a publication the rights to our videos. You know, so what they want to see now, because the newsroom has shrunk significantly and how they get paid has changed tremendously. So they need clicks. I mean, it's just like buying a display banner. They need their story to be seen. They need it to be shared. And that's how they're going to get paid for their work. So they're not going to invest time in something that isn't necessarily proven. And we just saw this um, with a kind of a fun project that we worked on for our client, Madame Tussauds, um, where we had Hulk Hogan impersonate a wax figure and then scare the crap out of people. And it was so fun. (laughs) And what we did was we sent it out the same way we would send out a press release, but it didn't really take hold until we got one really good hit. And then from there, we pitched that one really good hit and it went completely viral. So it's kind of a, a different strategy than what people expect. Being nimble and being adaptive is super key, even in a, and I think the PR position where there's been a lot of tradition. So good for you, by the way, on that nice, that nice victory with your client there. It was really fun. The other thing too is like, you may not get an immediate return the same way you would in PR before. Like you might send a press release out and get an immediate response from writers telling you, yes, no, maybe so. Now they're waiting to see who else writes about it. And you might get a response like a week or two weeks later, or, you know, find that something you pitched, you know, a couple days ago suddenly goes viral. So it's really important that we build that into timelines for clients too. That's a really solid uh, insight there. So I thank you for that. Now the editors and the writers are kind of the one side of the coin, but the other side of the coin when it comes to any sort of interest or in this case approval are the clients and kind of like getting creative approved. There is also a trick in getting um, even just specific editorial, whether it's social based or press release based, that type of copy approved. And especially as we've talked about with the the advent of digital media in recent you know 10 to 20 years, capturing those key digital moments is really important. But sometimes the tried and true uh, slow client approval is still a thing today, despite technology. So what what's your process for getting quick and speedy client approvals in those key digital moments? I mean, you the worst feeling on the face of the earth is when you see a great opportunity pass your client by because they were mulling it over for too long. And, you know, I think starting the relationship is the most important thing that we can do as account managers and starting it on the right foot. So, you know, we kind of lay the ground rules for this is how you're going to be successful. So clients know upfront that if I send you something that is hot, I mean it, and it's due today, and we need to move on it quickly, or else you will miss this opportunity. And I think they really value knowing that. So that when, you know, something quick comes through to us, they know I need to make a decision on this now. And sometimes it's I don't have time to be able to devote to this specific initiative. We like the idea, but we can't do it right now. 
cool. Then at least we know that it's not happening and we're not investing a ton of time in something for it to just fizzle and die. Um, and I find that to be really helpful. Yeah, no, that's that's a good piece of, of insight. And I think with a lot of things in account management, expectations and being upfront in the very beginning is, is super important. And I think that when it comes to that client approval process, making sure that that's set forth upfront, that's also a key ingredient there. So that's, I 100% agree. Yeah, I think whenever possible too, to be tr- as transparent as you can be, you know, there are plenty of times where, you know, a client and we think that we have like the best idea on the planet and a journalist will write back to me and tell me all the reasons why it's wrong. So, you know, I, I've seen other colleagues be afraid to share that feedback with their clients. And I don't see anything wrong with copying and pasting it and saying, this is the direct feedback that I'm getting from people. So how do we want to move forward and adjust? Well, and I think I think a lot of agencies miss out on, I don't know if it's due to busyness. I don't know if it's due to fear. I think a lot of agencies miss out on the opportunities to educate their clients. And I think that, like you said, giving that feedback from an editor or a journalist and saying like, hey, th- this was their direct feedback. I kind of agree. Or, you know, this kind of caught me off guard, but here's the candidness from them. That's a perfect opportunity to let your client know, here's what we're up against so that they, again, kind of have more managed expectations when it comes to getting big stories out. A hundred percent. And you make such a great point on the education component of our jobs. I mean, they're paying us for our expertise and for our service. And, you know, you can't expect a client to know everything that we do. If they did, they wouldn't need us. So I think it's really important that we take the time to explain to clients and it it doesn't have to feel like we're talking down to them, but just explain, you know, kind of how reality works for us. And this is how things change. And this is what we need from you. And that's how it's going to be a successful relationship. For sure. For sure. Now, as we've been talking about digital media, PR, pitching things out, I think the probably the tactic that we've been dancing around that's been such a huge trend in recent time has been influencers. Uh, I know that's a space you're pretty familiar with. It's something that our agency has has embraced not too long ago. In your experience, especially with your PR background, do you feel like influencers are becoming more and more essential for more brands going into the year? Or you know, do you think it's kind of just a, a trend that could change? I think influencers will always be important. They'll continue to grow, but um, maybe not in the way that they did two to five years ago when you saw thousands of mom bloggers suddenly become millionaires. That sort of influencer, that high-level influencer who operates almost as their own media entity, they're fizzling out big time. And I think part of that is could be fatigue on their end. I think part of it is you know, it's a tried tactic and maybe it hasn't proven huge results. Um, but the other part of it is that people want to know more about what people like them are doing. So I think how we look at who a qualified influencer is needs to change. You know, you and I are influencers. I don't have a following of, I don't know, I don't even think I have a thousand Facebook friends or LinkedIn connections, but the people that I am connected with care about what I do in my day to day. Case in point, you know, the recommendations feature on Facebook. So how do you reach the micro level influencer and get them to speak on your behalf? That I think is the challenge that we're facing now. Well, and I think that there are a lot of platforms out there that can do the influencer gathering, so to speak. But I think just 
getting a little granular, the micro influencers, like you said, I think that's where the word of mouth becomes really important with their followers. And I think honestly, at least in, in our experience at our agency, finding those micro influencers, it just takes a lot of manual researching and just kind of sticking your hands in. And I think that's also a great way to, to build strong relationships with those micro influencers. Yeah. I think it's one of the reasons why um, organic social media management will continue to be important for um, agencies, even though you see a lot of companies taking that in-house. Um, it's a great opportunity to mine and conduct your own sort of virtual focus groups and find those advocates. There's a couple of emerging tools coming out, you know, nothing that's like anything to write home about quite yet, but I could see that growing where they're finding, you know, a brand's top engaged followers and then incentivizing them in ways to become even more vocal and more influential. As a mid-level step, you know, there's also the influencers who sort of emerged after that initial boom of mommy bloggers, the ones who are just in your neighborhood. They write a blog because they like to keep updated with their friends and family. And here and there, they'll, um, you know, entertain different types of brand partnerships. And those people, they probably have, you know, less than 50,000 followers, but they're still pretty influential. They're hungry for opportunities. So those are a great place that brands can sort of start to build that base. Yeah. And also when they do get below like the 50,000 follower count on social, they also, like you said, they're so hungry for content. They also are pretty, pretty easy to work with just from uh, getting a deal going or getting some type of sponsored initiative going. Yeah. The thing I hear the most from clients or prospective clients is that they have no idea where to start negotiating with an influencer. And I think, you know, it's a definitely a more interesting game than, you know, like media where you might have a rate card and you have at least a benchmark of where to go. But it really just starts with opening a conversation. Maybe they'll do it for you for free. Maybe they'll do it for you for a gift card. You don't know until you ask. It's true. It's it definitely a blossoming thing. It's been obviously been around, I guess, before the term influencers was around. It was just bloggers, like right. you said, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes because it definitely seems like it is it is not going to go away, even if it doesn't end up changing. Yeah. But Megan, you've, you've provided some awesome insights uh, and I know they've been so awesome because I'm looking at the clock and seeing how quickly the time has flown by. So um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what everybody listening thinks. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure they're going to love it. Um, I'm sure my, my colleagues on our social and PR team are going to love it. And um, so thank you again for being on the show. Uh, I do have to close things as I always do on the show with a curveball question. And oh, this is what scares me. <laughs> this, is the th- this is the thing you had no idea was coming. And I always got to keep it interesting. So, okay. So your curveball question is, uh, with, with the recent rocket launch of Elon Musk, uh, his Falcon Rocket, I think it was called Falcon. I don't know the full name. Uh, so you are Elon Musk's next great invention. What invention is this? Oh, man, I thought you were going to ask if I was going to go to Mars or something. <laughs> Far too <laughs> Um. Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. Mm, most recently, before the rocket, his big piece of news was, I think, the flamethrowers for his little his little offshoot, the boring yeah, company. Yeah, see, I want to be something to give you like some that. Creative like, I, don't, I don't need to be like super mm. useful or change the world. I just want to be kind of fun. So I'm just going to say whatever the next flamethrower is he comes up with, that's what I would like to be. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so you're you're going to be flamethrower 2.0. Yeah, I'm going to leave it a little flexible. See, you know, 
I have to meet him first. Obviously, he's got to get a taste of my personality and then we'll come up with something cool. Maybe you'll be an influencer type flamethrower where instead of fire, you shoot out just followers everywhere you go (laughs) and you just it just spreads everywhere. I shoot out like hugs and kindness and (laughs) glitter. Oh, man. And an emoji, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) See, this this is good. I just I got to keep you on your toes. So that was a really Um, good one. I need to use that. Hey, well, please feel free to. But uh, Megan, thank you again for being on the show. It was fantastic having you on. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me, Brooklyn. And a huge thank you to all the guy and gal listeners out there. This is the end of another episode of SuitsCast. If you ever have a burning question you'd love to hear addressed in the show, or maybe you just want to get in touch with me and leave some feedback, I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at suitscast at gmail.com. One more time, that's suitscast at gmail.com. And lastly, if you'd like to support SuitsCast, there are two ways you can do so. The first way, if you haven't done so already, is to subscribe so you'll know exactly when the next episode is ready for your next listening session. And secondly, head on over to Apple Podcasts app if you aren't already there and leave a review for the show. Let me know and potential listeners know exactly what your thoughts are on SuitsCast. And with that, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again so much. See you next time and Suits out.